Welcome to New Mexico in Focus. This is the podcast for Friday, May 6th of 2022. Before we dive into the episode, I want to introduce myself as usual, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And we are in store for another dire weekend. We encourage you all to get your valuables ready to go, uh, to be ready, to be prepared. The wildfires are going to be something else this weekend. We know crews are still working diligently on many fires across the state. We are the hotspot for the nation. We also have the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire that's now the biggest wildfire in state history. And we heard from Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham today in a briefing about the winds, which are coming back midday tomorrow on Saturday, going to be here through Tuesday. So just the last thing that those fire crews need right now, we need everybody to be as safe as possible. And we've got a bunch of resources for you in the show description. So have those at the ready. I also want to encourage everybody to sign up for Reverse 911. You can just Google your county and Reverse 911. That way, uh, automated alerts and warnings about evacuations and other things will come to you automatically because we know time is of the essence. Again, just a dangerous set of conditions shaping up for this weekend uh, in what has already been a horrific fire season. Also want to let you know there's been developments this week in terms of disaster aid coming to New Mexico and coming quicker than it usually does for those who have already lost and suffered from these fires. We've got information uh, in the show description on how to access that as well and get the process rolling. But our, our thoughts go out to everybody this weekend. We hope everybody stays safe. And uh, again, just fingers crossed for the best possible situation this weekend, although that looks highly, highly unlikely. But we will continue to stay on top of that. Best way to keep on top of what we're doing is to be sure to follow us on our all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. And again, if you're wondering why this is such a serious year, want to point you to uh, our website, NewMexicoPBS.org, NMPBS.org, and uh, just search for The Longest Season, which is a special we did, uh, compiling a lot of the great reporting done by our Arland correspondent, environment correspondent, Laura Paskus, really helps you to understand not only why the fire season is earlier, why it's already so huge, but the conditions that a lot of these workers, these fire crews, these brave men and women are out there in terrible conditions just trying to keep all of this at bay and what that is like for them. Hint, that's a spoiler. It is not great. We're continuing to follow all of that and we will have much more for you in future episodes. As far as this podcast, this episode goes, it's going to be a little bit different than our usual fare. We put together a special episode this week in part because of the important nature of the topic and one that is near and dear to all of our hearts in terms of local journalism. You heard it mentioned almost in passing in recent episodes, but the Rio Grande Sun, which is a weekly newspaper serving Española and Rio Arriba County, has been sold to a new investment group that includes two former Republican Party chairmen, that's Harvey Yates and Ryan Cangelosi, among others, and uh, lots to get into on this topic. Uh, the Rio Grande Sun really gained a national reputation starting in the 90s and even before for being just such a diehard watchdog of that community. Um, they really made national headlines in the 90s on a story about how Española had the highest drug overdose uh, death rate in the country. Talking about heroin here. We know that uh, there's still a problem up in that area. They've also been harsh, or not harsh, but extreme advocates for open government and public records requests. Uh, Bob Trapp, who helped start the Rio Grande Sun in 1956, was a founder of the Foundation for Open Government here in New Mexico. And so there is quite the legacy there of the Rio Grande Sun 
and we're going to fill you in on some of that. This week, we have excerpts from a documentary that aired here on New Mexico PBS in 2013. It's called The Sun Never Sets, all about the legacy of the Rio Grande Sun. So we have some excerpts for, for you to help you understand that history if you weren't aware of it already. And we also talked to uh, Robert Trapp the Younger, the son of Bob Trapp, who founded the paper uh, on his decision to sell and especially to sell to this group. We're also going to hear from the new publisher and editor of the Rio Grande Sun. He's not part of that uh, ownership group, but he is the publisher and editor. A tried and true newspaper man, but no one is for sure what the future of the paper will hold. So correspondent Gwyneth Dolan sits down with Rich Connor to try to get some answers about that. Also a great segment with some reporters. Some of them may be familiar to you who uh, grew up in the Rio Grande Sun newsroom and really learned their craft there. So a huge amount to dive into here. But in a time of growing news deserts in New Mexico, in a time of fake news and misinformation, these uh, small weekly newspapers and small town communities are really just vital. And it's not even always about the straight hard news function. You think about obituaries and how important that is for, for small towns, the local sports scene, art scene. The Rio Grande Sun has done it all and done it all for a long time. And we'll continue to do that, how the community will respond to this new ownership group and these changes. Only time will tell. We just thought it was worth spending some real concentrated time talking about all of these things. And we'd love to hear what you think about it all as well. You can leave us a message here on the podcast, or you can reach out to us on social media and let us know what you think. Again, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, just search for NM in focus and leave us your thoughts. But here now, let's dive into our special episode looking back at the legacy and the future of the Rio Grande Sun. This week on New Mexico in Focus. I probably knew early on that I'd eventually have my own paper because. Every newspaper man believes he's going to have his own newspaper eventually. I was one of those. The Rio Grande Sun has been a part of the Trap family for more than 65 years, but that is about to change. And the new owners are raising a lot of questions. I don't think people with political affiliation should own newspapers. I think it just lends itself to mm -hmm. the issue of bias. All this change comes at a time of massive disruption in the media industry as a whole. This week, we look back at the Sun's impact and legacy and look ahead to the challenges facing small community news organizations moving forward. I would be happy if they would just report local news and cover the, cover the beats that affect people in the community the most right. and stay out of politics. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. The Rio Grande Sun first hit newsstands in Española and Rio Arriba County on October 6, 1956. It was started by two couples who moved to New Mexico specifically with the intent of starting a community newspaper. The Trapp family eventually took over control of the Sun. First was Bob Trapp, a journalism legend who also served as the New Mexico Press Association president and co-founded the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government. He passed the torch to his son, also named Robert, but recently we all learned the paper was being sold to an ownership group that includes two former chairmen of the state Republican Party. We'll have more on that unique ownership group and what it means for the future of the paper later in the show. But first, a little more on the history of the Sun and its powerful relationship to the community it serves from the 2013 documentary, The Sun Never Sets from filmmaker Ben Dates, followed by more on the Younger Traps decision to call it a career and sell the paper. There's this great line from Walter Lippmann that a free press is not a luxury, but a vital and organic necessity of a, of a great society, of a true democracy. That sums up what community journalism is truly about and all these small newspapers on the blue highways of, of the United States.
It's intense. It's, um, if people realize how much we work and cared, um, they'd be amazed, I think, if, you know, that small town of 10,000 people, how much a new, this little newspaper cares. I, I consider us the, uh, the best small town newspaper in America. It would have been easy to just put out a little friendly community newspaper, but I didn't think that that's what this community needed. I think probably what you need is the decision that no matter what the pressures are put on you, maybe even threats, that you're going to do your job anyway. From day one, you know, Kevin sat in this chair. I was right over there. Uh, he said, you know, here's, here's how it goes. Everyone uh, you talk to is going to lie to you, uh, except for me. Like, you have to trust me on everything, uh, which is a bizarre thing to say, and it's a total leap of faith, but you, you take it, uh, you kind of go down the rabbit hole, and you realize after three months, six months, how true that is, and, and how true it's just like, you kind of start to see through uh, the guise of the politics and the, just the, the, the brute realities of, of, of how things work here. We've been reading newspapers in our country for over 300 years, but the crinkle of paper is disappearing. People are getting their news on backlit computer screens. The digital age is transforming journalism. But in Española, New Mexico, they still get the news the old-fashioned way. Folks around here say you either love it or you hate it, but everybody reads it. The Rio Grande Sun sells out every week. There are about 7,500 newspapers in the United States, and the astonishing fact is that 97% of those newspapers are defined as small newspapers, circulations 50,000 and under, and of those, thousands are little weeklies that you've never heard of in what people call the boonies or the middle of nowhere, which in fact is the center of somebody else's universe. There's an expression one of my buddies has at a small newspaper uh, nearby. He says, we may be small town, but we'll never be small time. Robert Trapp, former editor and publisher of the Absolutely. Rio Grande Sun. <laughs> right? Thank you for joining us here. Thank you. At New Mexico PBS, we've been dying to talk to you about the sale. There's been so many things, so many questions out there. But I guess just got to say, you know, the Trapp family name is so strongly connected with not just the paper and the community. Why did you uh, want to sell at this point in your career? I didn't want to sell. Okay. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think probably at the top of the list is um, a lot of the good journalists have mm -hmm. left the business. Ah. They've um, moved on to things like in-depth and searchlight. You know, they're, they're going to this nonprofit uh, business model where they can do big stories and uh, impactful stories and they're leaving the small local markets. Mm. So the labor market is really squeezed and it was before the pandemic and the pandemic just made it worse. Right. Additionally, uh, I can't pay a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, we never could. Uh, even in our heyday, we couldn't. And so that makes the market even smaller. And to get good people at what I'm able to pay is it's nearly impossible right now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I got lucky with a couple of people recently, but um, by and large, you know, I can remember days when you could run an ad on journalismjobs.com and you get 20 responses immediately. Right. I didn't get any the last time I ran no an ad. No kidding. Interesting. Uh, add, that, add to that is it's nearly impossible to hire a good news editor now. And um, so I was the news editor. Mm -hmm. I was the publisher. I was the cops reporter, I was the school reporter, and then in the important jobs, you know, making sure the Coke machine was full, there's tissue in the ladies' bathroom, and uh, there's paper towels everywhere. That's, you, you know, yep. that's, that's life at a small newspaper. Right. It's like I said, you know, you don't own a weekly newspaper, it owns you. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, life is short, and unfortunately we find that out at the end of life. And uh, I, we were talking on the way down here. I think we got 10 really good years of we can travel anywhere we want. We, we got good knees and you know, we've got good eyesight and ears. And then you start deteriorate and I watched my mom and dad do that. Huh. I watched them, I lived that. Mm -hmm. We're gonna retire next year. We're gonna retire next year. And uh, next year it never came. They, they literally were both working the, the, 
days leading up to their deaths. And they, wow. you know, they, they both died of, uh, mom died of a, a stroke and dad had acute leukemia, but my mom fell in the shower getting ready for work. Wow. And that's not gonna be me. Is there a way to follow up the good works with these new owners? Are they gonna be able to, to be the trap type folks that can? No. Okay. <laughs> what are you looking for specifically from these folks? I would like them to, I would be happy if they would just report local news and, and cover, the, mm -hmm. cover the beats that affect people in the community the most right. and stay out of politics. Mm. That, would, that would be my hope. Had you had that discussion with them? Um, we had partial, I'm going to call them partial discussions about politics and, and, and where that fits in newspapers mm -hmm. and being unbiased. And, sure. and, you know, Harvey Yates told me more than once that he, he thinks a good newspaper, he thinks a good story is a story where you read it and you don't know if the writer was a Republican or a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard him tell my staff that the day he took over. And, and I hope he does that. I, I hope everybody does that. That's, that was what I've always strived for. Mm -hmm. Were you shocked when you got the call? I mean, you know, considering who's buying the paper, it must have been kind of a moment to think, well, <laughs> I want to sell it, but there's some questions here. I'm curious about the process when you first got the call. Well, the, <laughs> the call came from, did not come from Harvey. Harvey didn't enter the picture for a couple of months. Okay. Um, the call came through a friend of mine who connected me with Tom Wright, who is one of the nine buyers. Right. And Tom and I met, and Tom and I had the discussion. And uh, I, I thought about it, and uh, I contacted him again. This was last summer. Mm. And I contacted him again about a month later and decided I would meet with Harvey. And, you know, I did my homework on Harvey, and it's like I knew who he was. And uh, it kind of evolved from that, and the other buyers never even entered the picture. I just uh, dealt with Harvey mostly after Tom handed me off to him. When money does come in with new ownership, there is possibility to take the paper to a new place. Did the, was that kind of conversation had as well? Yes, yeah. and that, that was kind of what appealed to me. Okay. Um, Harvey has, has had someone develop some sort of app that so he, he's thinking more electric. It's funny, he's older than I am. And you, we were talking, I think I was talking with your producer about how in the documentary I said, you know, the internet's a waste of time. Still agree with that, it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But he had this app designed that he can get news to people and, and monetize it somehow. I see. And, you know, he wants to expand it more to go more towards state news. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that as long as you cover the local news make that a priority. Right. I'm also curious that what the local response has been. You've had a lot of local, I'm sorry, a lot of loyal readers for a long time. I have not a doubt it was jolting for some people once you start banding about some of these names. What's been the feedback you've gotten from the local Española community? You know, it's funny. I was waiting for a, a, a bunch of good riddance calls, you know, thank right. God you're gone, and never got one, never got a nasty email. I was really surprised. And... Uh, I got a couple of questionable ones, but I've got a lot of phone calls and emails and people in person mm -hmm. who were at first upset. It's like, how could you do this? Mm -hmm. and, and then immediately, I understand. I, I know what you've been doing for a couple of years, and, right. and I know how crazy you are right now. And, you know, good luck. Sure. They accept the job, I would tell them. <laughs> that if you can get a news story in Reba County, no matter where you go, you'll be able to get a news story because you're going to learn how to do it here because it's a tough, tough That's area, right. tough community to, for a young reporter so to break into. We assure them that what, are you working on? Uh, what they report and what they dig up, if it is legitimate news, the, the publisher, the editor, will not kill it because of an economic or an advertiser's pressure or anyone else. All the resumes I get, there's always a paragraph in there about I can edit, I can video and I can edit video and I can post and I can blog and I can do all this stuff for your website and I always tell them, don't care, don't care, don't care. Can you write? Can you go out and ask hard questions? Can you get around someone who says no 
and go find someone in the next cubicle who will say, yes, can you do that? Can you come back and can you write a sentence? And good God, some of them can't write a sentence. There's people graduating college that cannot write news. There's people graduating college who can't write. I love to watch when you see a kid go to a paper like The Sun um, and they realize, oh my gosh, I can do my best work right here. I, can, I will do my best work. And the community deserves my best work right here because here's a community that not only is in need, but here's a community that trusts my newspaper. It's pretty interesting. Like the whole place is just stories to me. Like down here when I think of 31 Mile Road, I always think of that one grandma that was murdered a couple years ago back in 2005 that they've never solved the murder of. That crime is just probably going to always be unsolved. A grandma gets murdered in cold blood and they'll never solve it probably. In 1999, the Sun broke the national story that Rio Arriba County had the highest per capita heroin overdose rate of any place in the country. Over a decade later, it still does. So all these are, look at how they're all new. They're all new. All these are all my friends have, that have passed away recently, like all from drugs or like the one that shot himself. She got into the accident. He shot himself. Uh, Keebler, Kevin over there. Now this one with the next one. And all the other ones, overdoses, more or less. It's basically these... These aren't people who just smoking marijuana or getting high occasionally. These people are just doing uh, scientific experiments with their body. And you look at the toxicology reports and they've got, you know, heroin, cocaine, alcohol, four different kinds of prescription drugs. And I mean, that's like committing suicide or something. I mean, that's, I, if, and if this place is so wonderful, which I think it is, then why are these people all trying to kill themselves? I don't think anybody's really kind of got to the heart of that. Maybe, maybe drugs is instead of becoming a problem has become a way of life here, I don't know. But it got their attention and the, the, they, there were attempts made to improve at, uh, the situation, but it, it's something that I think is, I'm not sure there's a solution to it. In spite of millions in federal and state aid, there's been no cure for the epidemic of drug and alcohol use. No solution for the related crime and violence. Add in the stories about government ineptitude, political shenanigans, failing schools, and its continuing front page news for The Sun, and an embarrassment for many in the community. First of all, I've never read The Real Grandson. I did not want an entity, no matter where it was a paper or outside entity, to uh, keep my focus on what really needed to happen because, you know, any paper, if you see any type of program or whatever, can try to sway uh, your decision-making processes. And I did not want any type of entity persuading me exactly what my direction and what I needed to happen, my goals and my direction. I think the Rio Grande Sun invariably picks the headline before they write the story, and so they make the story fit the headline. It's just unfortunate. I think the Rio Grande Sun uh, is a negative and distorted reflection of the community. And there are cheerleading newspapers. There are Chamber of Commerce type newspapers. Uh, and then there are fearless newspapers. I think the best editor, publishers, owners are, are ones who, who keep that journalist moral compass, if you will, pointed on true north, and, and they know that the newspaper um, comes first. Like the other day, on Tuesday night, Tuesday at four five o'clock, a kid in a nice truck, nice tennis shoes that probably worth more than my, my whole wardrobe, um, allegedly dies of a drug overdose up in the hills right outside of town. I mean, there's something, I mean, that's, there's something messed up when that's just accepted and that's a normal, that's page two news. It could have even been deeper in our paper just because it's kind of a semi-regular event. I mean, that's depressing.
you know, that's just the fact of life here. And if people, you know, there's good and bad to, to everything, but if you don't want to address these problems, that's pretty, that's pretty brutal. Could I have six papers, please? Mm -hmm. Okay, and here's $3. Jeanette, did you get to the Rio Grande Sun? Yeah, I sure did. What's the headlines? Okay, this is the May 14th, 2009 issue, and the headlines are Jails, Drug Program Spun Out of Control, and I kind of like to read that one in a minute, but the others are Deputy Rob's Pharmacy. Because of the nature of the community, I find for folks who have been using here for any length of time, there's just too many reminders for them, and it sets off too many cravings. I had one gentleman who'd been clean about six years, he'd been on methadone and weaned off, and he said he saw somebody um, he used to buy heroin from, and he said he just went into withdrawal right there in the car, you know, full-blown sweats, cramping, you know, the whole uh, nine yards, so. I wanted to do some community reporting and looking around the state at the papers that were hiring. Espanola caught my eye because of the public health issues up here. is pretty famous for the drug problem and its high overdose rates and other public health issues. I knew there was a, a drug problem. The brutality, the violence came as, I think I was a little naive about how big a problem that is up here. I don't need the first then, item. Well, okay, the caption says, Rio Riva has spent thousands of dollars on powerful and controversial antipsychotic drugs for inmates. And this is, Joe, a first of a two-part series. The Rio Riva County Jail spent more than $140,000 over five years to keep inmates sedated with dangerous and addictive psychiatric drugs, according to the Rio Grande Sun investigation. We found a little bit of everything. We found that there's a psychiatrist who is the, whose contract got yanked with the jail or got pulled from the jail in August 2008 had been prescribing thousands of doses of this drug and other drugs such as uh, psychiatric drugs, especially Xanax, to prisoners. And what we found was that they were using these to sedate the prisoners and a lot of times to make them, as multiple people said, zombies in the jail. The guy who was the county reporter here before me, his name was Matt Van Buren, and he ended up at the Taos paper. Um, he had done an interesting little story in 2008 about how many pharmaceuticals were being thrown away at the county jail up in Tierra Maria. And when I read that paper and looked back through his file, his notes on it, I kept seeing that there seemed to be a, a disproportionate number of, of Seroquel prescriptions. So it made me think there was something up with Seroquel at the jail did some literature searching to see what the FDA approved uses of Seroquel were, and they were for heavy-duty mental illnesses like schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder. So I asked the, the warden about it, and I filed some open records requests to look at their pharmacy billing records. The, the interesting explanation that the doctor had given, the psychiatrist had given, was that he was treating, the thing he was treating was post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that's a syndrome that most people would associate with, with combat. It's almost a condemnation of the county and the culture that it's, it's so violent that he has to treat this with this powerful drug. The thing that stood out when you look at the billing records is that there was a dramatic increase through time in how much Seroquel was being prescribed. In December of 2007, the Rio Arriba County Jail had ordered uh, 88 separate times they had ordered Seroquel. And a year later, after that doctor was no longer seeing uh, inmates, the number of Seroquel prescriptions in the jail, the December 08, was nine. I love newspapers because I started newspapers. I like this newspaper, uh, it's scrappy, uh, it has balls, they clearly take on um, the governmental organizations wherever they can, they print budgets, they hold people accountable for spending taxpayers money on junkets, um, and there is still in this newspaper um, a flavor of old newspapering, which I love, and you know, they're not afraid of outrageous headlines and of blaring it across the front page. On the back of Bob Trapp's business cards are the words of Benjamin Franklin. Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. The words are taken seriously. When you come around here, these are all 
rocks that came through the front window. That one hit up there somewhere. Whoever threw that one had an arm because it came through that window down there. That's about 20 or 30 feet. Then these are all also from the same collection and those all came through a window. Fortunately, 90% of the time they hit a wall. They, they keep trying, but as they break, I put in Lexan. The rocks haven't stopped the paper from leading the fight in New Mexico for open records and open meetings. It's filed and won multiple lawsuits in the process. And, you know, once upon a time, that's what we did. We, we, reporters went out, gathered information, came back and wrote it. Now, today, reporters, and it doesn't matter what beat, reporters go out, they ask questions, they're stonewalled, they ask for documents, they're stonewalled more, they come back and say, what do we do? If lawyers can't solve it, uh, we file a suit. But it's, it's a take no prisoners attitude because you can't let one organization get away with it because they know if they did once, they can again. No one goes to a city council meeting unless they've got a complaint. So it's up to the uh, newspaper to tell the community what's going on at city council. The same goes for the school board. It's, it's sort of the, a paper of record. It tells what happened here 50 years ago that no one will know or remember. But they can always go back to the newspaper, and that newspaper is a record of what happened 50 years ago. Or in some cases, 100 years ago, there are some newspapers that... Uh, 100 years old and a community without a newspaper is sort of like a community without a library. You've got to have it. A lot of talented journalists got their start in the Sun's newsroom. Many of them have gone on to national assignments or other opportunities here in the state inside and out of the journalism industry. But all of them talk about how formative their time at the Sun was, as I found out when I caught up with a few of them over Zoom recently. Julia Goldberg was at the Sun in the 1990s but now works at the Santa Fe Reporter. Tabitha Clay also came up through the Sun ranks and now writes for the paper here in Albuquerque. And Mike Kemper is a former editor at the Sun who now works locally as an attorney. Thank you all for joining us. And Mike, let me start with you. Um, what was your reaction to the news when you heard that the paper had been sold? Well, I, I heard it from Braden and that's what I called the younger Bob. Um, <laughs> I heard from Braden about it and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't talk him out of it. We're we're friends, and and I've been associated with the paper since I left. But mm -hmm. um, I I couldn't see a way of talking him out of it. I know what the daily grind is for him, and how tough it is to keep that going. And um, so, but I did shed a tear. I mean, to see the paper out out of the trap family was something that mm -hmm. really uh, hit me hard. But you know, I I understand why he's. Uh, decided to sell and had an opportunity to sell. And so um, I think it's, uh, I think it's great that he's going to get to live his life outside the, the daily grind of, of uh, running a weekly newspaper. Mm -hmm. Mike, when did you start there and how many years were you there? I was there from 89 until 96. So okay. I was a reporter for about a year and a half and then became news editor under Bob Trapp um, for the remainder of that time and, and really enjoyed my, my time there as a reporter mm -hmm. and editor. Yeah. Julia, when did you start there and what did you do at first and how did you finish? Um, I, I, date wise, I started, I believe in 95, Mike was my editor, mm -hmm. Bob hired, Bob hired me. I was very young. I can't do the math on it, but I, I was young enough that I had the school beat and was frequently mistaken for a student as I wandered around at <laughs> high school. Love it. Um, and I, I was there about two years. Interesting. Yeah, a lot can happen up there in just a couple of years. Obviously, the same question for you, Tabitha, as well. How, when did you start and how long were you there as well? Um, I started in October of 2018, and mm -hmm. actually, I was there just a year. And I, I okay. left in October of the next year. Yeah. And I was the cops and courts reporter. Yeah. Julianne, I, I want to pick up on something uh, Mike just said a second ago. Can you picture uh, this paper without a member of the Trap family running it? Is that something we can you can get your head around at this point? I mean, no, <laughs> not really. I mean, I you know, I I do understand. You know, the son. I think for anyone that worked there, and certainly for Bob and for Ruth, I mean, it's a labor of love. They worked. They were always there. They worked really hard. So I don't think you can force somebody into 
committing a labor of love. They have to actually want to do it. Um, I I can imagine it having been put into other hands. I'm, I think having it put into the hands of a media group with such strong political affiliations is a whole other ballgame. And so that, that confuses the issue for me. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm choosing just to focus on nostalgia um, personally at the moment, but I don't know what it'll mean. Well, you brought us here. So let's go there. Uh, This new ownership group is a very interesting situation and um, we just interviewed Robert here just a little bit ago he mentioned that he had not met with the owner group just with the initial person and then it got turned over to Harvey Yates so he really doesn't know who the ownership group is what's your Julia now this will be a good one for all of you here what's your biggest pause that you have coming in with this new ownership group what worries you the most I don't think people with political affiliation should own newspapers Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not a very complicated viewpoint. I just don't think that they should. I think it becomes problematic. I think it, I would feel the same way if it were people associated with the Democratic Party or the Green Party or or anybody. I mean, I just I think it I think it just lends itself to mm-hmm. the issue of bias, and it seems very strange to me. And I think there were probably other options. Um, that could have been pursued. That's not for me to say. Tabitha, let me bounce to you real quick. Your employer is an Albuquerque City Councilor, Pat Davis. Does this give you pause at all? I don't know Pat. Okay. Um, I don't talk to Pat. As far as I know, he has nothing to do with anything I write and definitely has, I've never heard, don't write about Albuquerque or these problems in Albuquerque. Okay. So in my mind, I think that there can be good editorial separation. I don't know how that'll play out for the sun. I know how it plays out for me. Mm-hmm. In general terms, though, what's where Julia was a second ago? What, what's again? You have a good situation there, but the business is changing, and we're starting to see some interesting ownership situations. I'm curious where you, as a working reporter, does it not enter your mind at all whether uh, the ownership has some political affiliation, or you just put your head down and just do your thing anyway? I, I think, I think it, it's entirely dependent upon probably who the people are. I okay. mean, you can have bad people with an ax to grind that do anything, you know, and and others aren't, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mike, there's, you know, as I mentioned to Robert, there's a heck of a legacy that's been left through the efforts of you folks and the owners, of course. And all of that seems to be able to, is going to flip in a little bit. I'm interested in how you all feel about the local community and how they might receive a change in the paper that is this drastic, something they've been relying on for a number of years. What's your sense of it, how Española is going to take the, the new ownership and their new attitude about it? Well, I think, I think the, uh, I mean, the Rio Grande Sun has a um, vibrant readership. Um, it's not as high as it was back in the 90s when Julia, Julia and I were there, but it still has a, has a loyal following. The problem is that you've got, you know, uh, younger folks that want to get their news off the phone and re- rather than picking up the paper on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So that's an issue. But um, I, I think that the, you know, there's going to be a lot of people as uh, Robert said in his last editorial, you know, that uh, there's going to be a lot of people cheering that the traps no longer have a paper, but there's going to be a lot of people who aren't cheering and who were, who look towards it. I mean, that the paper was, definitely afford the state in that community. And we had, uh, you know, we had people that, uh, fugitives who turned themselves in at our office. We had people calling up, uh, you know, as a different form of government, not government, but they knew that they could trust us and they knew that they could reach out to the paper and get some results. And so, I mean, I think that's going to be an issue that the community is going to look at and say, Mm -hmm. you know, is this going to be the same local paper i mean the traps lived and breathed in in espanola right and uh when you have somebody that's coming in from out of state to run the paper you're going to have some issues about that i mean how well do you know uh the community and you know there's there's a good group of reporters right now who can carry the torch but um you just don't you don't know and i think there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy about um you know, where this is coming from. Julia, I'm interested in your opinion on this. You know, critics of the paper back when, uh, you know, often claimed the paper was like too negative. I used to hear that a lot, too negative. You know, in its watchdog role, um, but Politico is mainly the ones that were complaining. Is the loss of that role concern you? Because that that watchdog role is very serious for the Sun. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the ad that I responded to when I applied that I have before me, I didn't wear reading glasses when I worked at The Sun, that's how long it was, said, <laughs> the worst hometown newspaper that ever existed has an immediate opening for a general assignment reporter covering exciting Rio Riva County. And I think, Mike, tell me if I'm right, I think that was a quote from one of The Sun's critics that appeared in a Smithsonian Magazine article about mm -hmm. The Sun, yeah. that sort of commemorating, you know, the relationship that it had with the community. And... Um, you know, I, I can't imagine, even then, even however many years ago, it was rare to find a place where you could work where a newspaper was so connected to the community, mm -hmm. you know, where people would call you and want to meet you in an alley and they'd hand you phone records they had gone and gotten themselves wow. um, to give to you. And that, you know, they would show up in the office to complain to Bob about me while I was sitting there and then they'd leave and Bob would give me a $10 raise like every time someone showed up to complain about me. You know, I don't think those experiences, I, I can't imagine having been a journalist without them and I feel sad that at the idea of other journalists not getting to have that. Tabitha, you know, you weren't there a whole long time, but I'm curious what you learned during your time there and how it's, you know, helped you in your current endeavors. I, I think the most important thing that I learned there was how to go after a story and not take, well, we're not going to tell you as an answer, right. which it, the sun is really good about, you know, where that boundary is like, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can push on this. And just a really supportive newsroom as far as like what goes on in the climate there. Mm -hmm. um, especially for me yeah. when I was reporting on policing. It was helpful. Oh, you did policing? No kidding. Oh, I mean, are you gonna have, ever going to have a beat that's that intense again? I mean, policing in Rio Arriba County is, that's a heck of a beat. What, what did you take out of that? Does that, again, does that inform what you do today? That's a tough beat. It absolutely does. Actually, a lot of the reporting that I started at The Sun, um, especially when it comes to statewide policing issues, yeah. is stuff that I'm still continuing to report on today and and in a lot of other rural communities throughout the state mm -hmm. mike pick, pick up on that if, if you would you did a lot of crime stuff because it's unavoidable certainly right and I'm, I'm curious where you know again you and your career where you're at now how did this inform what you're doing now that you're, you're six or seven years there at the sun yeah i mean it definitely um i've always called the rio grande sun the uh, bob trap graduate school of journalism because it uh, has trained so many good journalists, but it's also the Bob Trapp school for going into law school. And so there's a lot of lawyers who have, like myself, who have gone through that and then jumped over to law. And it's very similar. I mean, I interview wow. people and I, uh, you know, I was uh, talking to these folks earlier about subpoena power is a little different than, than a reporter calling, but mm -hmm. uh, there's so much of it. My stories then lasted a week. Now they last a year and a half, uh, but it's still that same storytelling. That's that, finding the nuggets of truth and all that kind of stuff that that makes law be uh, being a lawyer. It was great training ground for it. I'm going to stick with you on this next question as well. You know, the idea that, you know, it's a difficulty because you can get your news in a lot of different ways now from a lot of different places. I'm curious where you see, uh, Mike, the paper fitting in in a, in a social media world. Is the paper designed and in, in, is it is the constituency that it's serving is it designed for, for social media and that kind of stuff? I mean, it may be. I think, okay. that, it, I think that smaller papers for a while were insulated, where the kind of Albuquerque market um, lost a lot of readerships due to phones and social media and stuff, whereas the little papers still mm -hmm. continue to thrive. But that's starting to drift away, I think. And I think, you know, there are numerous Facebook pages about Espanola uh, or, you know, people that want to start a their own newspaper off of Facebook or whatever social media. Mm -hmm. And that's that's happened. People have tried that. And I think people look at those things now a little bit more than they did in the past. But there's still a, uh, there is still something. If you go to Espanola on a Wednesday night, there's going to be a line of cars picking up the paper. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of it. It may be in part because they need some fire starter for their wood stoves a little later, but it also means that they're picking up the paper. And so that that tradition is still there. It's mm -hmm. not as big as it was 20 years ago, but I think it's, uh, 
I mean, it's a problem that all newspapers face That's is right. how do you make that transition? And, you know, hopefully if there's an infusion of money uh, from these new owners and they can reach out through social media and keep local journals alive in Espanola, then that's great. But mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be a little bit of a hard sell, I would think, to for any local paper to to kind of get the attention from people when they're right. when they're getting all their news from Facebook. That's right. Julia Goldberg, the Santa Fe reporter, Tabitha Clay, you just heard from the paper, and Mike Kemper, formerly at the former editor at the Sun, now an attorney. Thank you guys very much. Very interesting how you have come through this whole process of this fascinating I, I think it's one of the most fascinating local papers in the country. I mean, I look around the country at, a, at these things a lot. I'm, there's not many out there that has a legacy like the Sun. There just, I there just isn't. <laughs> you agree with that, Mike? You're the same yeah, thought? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting when you really step back from it and look at it. And you should all be proud of your contributions to that as well. So, guys, next time we'll talk more about media stuff. We appreciate your time today. Thank Thanks, you. Kate. As you've already gathered, the Rio Grande Sun has earned quite the reputation, both locally and nationally. But it has not been immune to the changing media landscape and the challenges that creates, especially for small newsrooms. I asked Robert Trapp the Younger about all of that and how it plays into the paper's future under new ownership. Watchdog, you guys have been a watchdog, I mean, with a capital W, and, and folks have come to rely on that here. Is that going to go away at the Sun? I fear it is. Okay. I was doing that. Ah. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, 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 the news editor and the two reporters were really working local news and beats, and I was doing most of the other stuff. Gotcha. And then handing it off to whoever, it, you know, whatever beat it applied to. Yeah. Um, they're capable of it. I know they're capable of it. I don't know if they'll do it, though. Let me go back to the industry and where it's headed and your opinion about this as well. A lot of flux right now. Of course, you mentioned the internet and Facebook and all that other social media stuff that sort of flows into news gathering, news dissemination. <clears throat> For someone to do it like your folks did way back when and build something from the ground up, is that possible in your, in your mind now? Is that a possibility? Or do you just have to be, have so much money walking in the door? You just, that's the only way these days. Yeah, the latter. Yeah, okay. You have to have the money to, to come in and do that. Yeah. Uh, when my mom and dad started the paper, they were actually asked by local business people to come down and start up. There was already a paper in Española, but mm -hmm. it was very, it was a, it was a, uh, a Republican newspaper. And so it labeled itself as a Republican sure. newspaper. And we want news. And so they were invited to town to produce a newspaper that had news in it. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine that today? Somebody right. asking, hey, come start a newspaper here. We need a newspaper here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you'd be crazy to do it. You know, when I think about all the stuff you covered, even just the last few years, there's been a lot of law enforcement stuff. People have gone to jail. I mean, there's been a lot of very huge, big hitting news out there. Did you feel like you got a little bit lucky to be in a place like Española? The news just never seemed to stop, if you get my drift mm -hmm. on this. You know what I mean? It, it just is much different than covering things in a very sleepy town, so to speak. I, you know, I, I, a lot of people tell me, you know, it happens everywhere. Yeah. The, this is, Española is not, there's nothing special. It, sure. It's just like this everywhere. I don't believe that. Okay. I don't believe that for a minute. Yeah. I think some of the stuff that goes on there is very unique. And, and the fact that these guys continue to run for office and get elected, right. run for office and get elected, uh, it's, it's just baffling. Yeah. And it's like I said in my last editorial, I, Rio Reba County is a great place to cover news. It's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. It just gives and gives and gives. <laughs> and it just, when you think it got it, it, as crazy as it could get, you got somebody with a, a heroin in a burrito trying to get it into the jail, or you got a sheriff going to federal prison. Right. It's just, you, you never know. That's right. That's right. Do you feel like you've left Española a better place for your efforts? No. Uh-uh. Why not? Um, you did a lot. I, I think we did, yeah. but, um, you know, again, my last editorial, I, I, I called it, we're, we're done of, uh, afflicting the comforted, uh, the comfortable. And uh, I think, I think the, the people in control, the people in power, the people who are running the budgets mm -hmm. and uh, not serving the public are still there. Um, they have different names now. You know, it was Emilio Naranjo once upon a time, and, right. 
and now you know you take your pick there's there there's a there's a bunch of them there who are still running budgets and don't know what they're doing or or do know what they're doing and just not serving the public mm -hmm. and that's still going on I, my dad said you know i used to ask my mom and dad 20 years ago it's like how how have you guys done this for 50 years you know i'm right. i'm writing an editorial that i wrote 10 years ago and it's just a different guy's name now and dad always said you know when we got here it was a big deal for kids to get out of sixth grade mm -hmm. that was a big deal eighth mm -hmm. grade and this was in the 50s he said right. we're graduating kids from high school they're going on to college there are kids coming out of the espanol school system who are doctors and lawyers and unfortunately, as we were speaking before, they're back east somewhere. Right. But so in, in, in that instance, they, they have, there has been a difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mom always, her backup was always think about what the valley would be like if the newspaper wasn't here. And mm -hmm. I try to hold on to that, but it's hard. Yeah. When, when I've been banging my head against a desk for 31 years, 32 years, whatever. So what about that new ownership and direction of the paper that we mentioned at the top of the show? We've heard about the concerns about having political operatives in ownership roles, but what exactly is the plan for the Sun and how is the paper going to approach covering Española and the surrounding communities? Correspondent Gwyneth Dolan sat down with new editor and publisher Rich Connor to find out. Thank you so much for being with us today. I want to ask you first, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved with taking over as publisher of The Sun? Well, um, I did major in journalism in college. I was an English major, wanted to write, got a job at a newspaper, and uh, in a relatively short time understood what a newspaper, a good newspaper, can do in a community. And uh, that would be 55 years ago. And it's all I've ever done. Never intended to do it. I was a photographer, a reporter, an editor. Then became the publisher for a, a large media company out of New York. And uh, my last job with them was as publisher, president and publisher of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Fort Worth, Texas, big paper. I left there and started my own company. And so for the past really 25 years or so, I've owned my own newspapers, bought and sold them, and I've done consulting. And this opportunity came along to uh, help some investors who have never been in the business uh, learn the business and, uh, and spend some time at a famous weekly newspaper hoping that I can continue the aggressive reporting traditions of that paper. Well, you brought up the role that a paper can play in a community. What does that look like in its ideal form? What are you, what are you trying to uh, continue or even uh, improve on in, in terms of the Sun's role? Well, I've been lucky that I've, I've been uh, with a couple of newspapers that were literally startups. So when you do that, you say, particularly in a weekly newspaper, what is it people need to know about their community? They need to know, quite frankly, who died. They need to know what's going on with the city police, county sheriff, state police, fire, education. So you start with those basics that say, let's forget about the feature story on somebody that is doing something phenomenal and unique out there. Let's figure out how we're going to cover the basics of community life. And um, that's pretty well covered in Española. We'll take a new look at how we think we ought to do that. Um, and then beyond that, what I add to it, my own personal belief is, that people live in a community uh, because they like it. Now, some may have no choice, but most people today were very mobile. If they don't like where they live, they could move. So they live in a community that they like, in fact, love. And I think that while you're reporting on the things that maybe people don't love, crime, corruption, uh, you ought to also shine a light on those things that make people proud to live there. That will be something that probably we will add more of at the Rio Grande Sun. 
Had you heard of the Sun before this opportunity came uh, past you? I had not. Uh, I the uh, the there's a newspaper brokerage company in Santa Fe called Dirks Van Essen and April sell probably more newspapers than any company in in the country. And I've done a lot of business with them. Owen Van Essen called me and said, "Have you ever heard of this newspaper? They may need someone to help them." learn the business and he said you better watch this documentary <laughs> so I immediately did learn a lot about Española and the Rio Grande Sun but not before then. So what are your goals for the paper now that you know what it's about and you're in Española what are your goals moving forward? Well I've been there a month and um, so I think it would really be somewhat preposterous for me to say that I fully understand I don't really understand the community at this point. Uh, I'm older than when I used to do this. I was, I was, had jobs like this when I was in my 20s. And uh, I would be more bull in the china closet. <laughs> now I want to wait. I want to meet people. I want to make an assessment. And I want to be respectful of the great business and the community service that the Trap family performed in Española over the last few years. We are not going to lose that zeal for aggressive uh, First Amendment, open meetings kind of reporting, what the public needs to know. And so we're going to stay loyal to that. And then we're just going to take our time trying to figure out if there is a new and expanded role for us. One of the things that's uh, kind of marked the sun, it has been really old school about its print edition and pretty reluctant to um, spend too much time and effort on digital. Do you intend to keep that or is it your philosophy that this paper should move more into the digital realm? We will definitely move more into the digital realm. We are not going to abandon print I am a firm believer that the same people that will read you online will read you in print. We have, as you probably know, six to 8,000 people on any given Wednesday. There's several mail copies in there, home subscriptions. But these people drive up to a street vendor or walk into a store and buy the paper. That commitment and loyalty is not going to go away just because we have a more enhanced online digital presence, but we'll spend a lot of time on that. For instance, just today, we are updating the wildfires online uh, regularly. That would not have been part of the Mm -hmm. tradition of the newspaper before. We will be very aggressive in that area. You have, you know, you talked about the ownership uh, change here. You've no doubt heard concerns about the new owners of the paper, which includes two former state Republican Party chairs. What is your response to the concerns that this will make the paper obviously partisan? No, it won't. <laughs> I have made it clear to the, there are nine investors that um, if they wanted me, which they did, to come help them learn the business and run the newspaper for them, that I would be running it. That, that's my whole career. It was when I worked for a publicly held company. Uh, people in New York were not telling me what to print and what not to print. It's just part of my nature and it's part of what's essential in this business. I would say that I think the concern that's been raised to me is, um, is a concern I would have about journalism. You have two former Republican chairmen of the New Mexican Republican Party, I said Republican a lot there, there are nine investors. Two? What party affiliation do the other seven have? Guess what? I don't know. Um, what? Am I registered in a party? Who knows? Um, so I think, to, I think to, and I'm not being critical of the question, I'm really glad you asked it. 
I think the center on that, as well as as the uh, managing partner of El Rito, has been in the oil and gas business. For someone to look at nine investors, and we named all of them. Every one of them has been named. I've been in newspaper purchases where the investors did not want to be named. Named all of them. Two of them are from Española. One's running for office right now, trying to reclaim his state rep seat. But we named all of them. Two of them jump out because they're prominent Republicans in the state. I get that. That's good reporting. One's particularly been in the oil and gas business, and his family has. So for a reporter to take those two pieces and write a story that says um, top Republicans, big oil, own the Rio Grande Sun. It's just that's an assumption that a reporter shouldn't make. If a columnist wants to say, hey, what's the... But in a news story, I think it is one of the things that I personally don't like in day-to-day -day journalism, and I hope we're not going to do those things at our little, although biggest, paid weekly newspaper in New Mexico. We just have one minute left. This is a tough time for newspapers and news organizations in general. Um, what are your top ideas for um, keeping the paper solvent and maybe making more money? I learned this a long time ago. Try to bring in more than you spend. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that simple today. We will add online revenue. That will be an area that we think we can grow. And uh, I think there are some other areas where we can. I think there's more print revenue for us. I may be wrong about that, but I, I just have a sense there is, I, I've felt for a long time uh, that after about 10 years, the leadership of a business can easily get stale. It just, you've, kind of, you've, you've come up with new ideas and maybe you've changed the culture and you've made things better or maybe worse. Uh, it's just my own personal feeling. The Rio Grande Sun's been owned by the same family for 66 years, and they have done a spectacular job of keeping it going when other papers failed. So now we have to carry on from there. But I think this is an opportunity for new ideas, hopefully new leadership. I have literally run newspapers from Maine now to New Mexico. I owned over 90 newspapers at one time, most of them tiny weeklies. And I think I've picked up some experience and some ideas along the way that I can impart here. We'll have to see. But this group bought the Rio Grande Sun because they wanted to continue in Española and Rio Arriba County and maybe expand beyond that. And I'm confident that they are committed and can ride through the ups and downs while we have new ownership and new leadership. Well, thank you for coming in and talking to us about it. We'll check back in with you as you make some progress. Perfect. Thank you. It is a crucial time for local journalism and small news outlets like the Rio Grande Sun. Time will tell how that new ownership group will fare with its audience, but one thing is for certain. We can't afford to lose any news organizations, especially in a state like ours, with so many diverse communities and issues. Now, news deserts are becoming a real threat, and one that does not bode well for the Founding Fathers' ideals of a democracy with a well-informed electorate. If you want to see more of The Sun Never Sets documentary, which was made in 2013, be sure to tune in to New Mexico PBS at 7 p.m. on May 19th. We'll be broadcasting the full film, which will also be streaming on demand on the NMPBS website. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and helping us all stay informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus. And that will do it for this special episode of New Mexico and Focus the Podcast. 
We earlier in the episode, of course, brought you those excerpts from the documentary, The Sun Never Sets. That ran in 2013 on New Mexico PBS. It will be running again on May 19th, so coming up here in just a little over a week. And so we encourage you to tune in. That's 7 o'clock on May 19th here on New Mexico PBS Channel 5.1. So if you liked and uh, learned anything from those excerpts, you'll want to check out the whole documentary on May 19th. Again, everybody, take time. Check on folks around you. Be super safe this weekend. And all of us keep our fingers and toes crossed on the wildfire danger this weekend. We know it's going to be a a dire situation. And we will uh, continue to follow that here on the show and bring you more about that in the coming days and weeks. But that will do it for this episode. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. As always, we thank you for listening.